St. Augustine was born in 354, 354 in an upper-class family in what is now Algeria, northern Africa. His mother was a Christian, but his father was a pagan. And as Augustine grew and studied, he embraced a religion called Manichaeism. Manichaeism is a Gnostic, false religion. And he was a hedonist. He lived a profligate lifestyle. He fathered a child out of wedlock. And this was the way he lived into his 20s. Then there began to be a change in his life. He rejected Manichaeism. And he began to wrestle with his beliefs, the, the teaching that his mother was pressing upon him. And he was wrestling with the lifestyle, this, this loose lifestyle that he loved. He writes about this time in his life in his confessions. And he says, But I, a miserable young man, supremely miserable, even in the very outset of my youth, had entreated chastity of you and said, Grant me chastity and self-restraint, but not yet. For I was afraid, lest you should hear me soon, and soon deliver me from the disease of lust, because I desired it to be satisfied rather than extinguished. That's where Augustine was in his 20s, but the Lord kept working on him, and he became increasingly aware of his sinfulness. This all came to a head one day when he was in his garden weeping and crying out to God. And he writes this about that experience. So I was speaking and weeping in the most bitter contrition of my heart when, lo, I heard from a neighboring house a voice, as of a boy or or a girl, I, I do not know, chanting and oft repeating, take up and read, take up and read. Instantly my face altered. I began to think most intently whether children were wont in any kind of play to sing such words, nor could I remember ever to have heard the like. So checking the flow of my tears, I arose, interpreting it to be no other than a command from God to open the book and read the first chapter I should find. Eagerly, I then returned to the place where Olypius, his friend who he was with, was sitting For there I had laid the volume of the apostle when I arose thence. I seized, opened, and in silence read that section on which my eyes first fell. And this is the section he read from the text of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word before us today. Romans 13, 11 through 14. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. These are the verses that changed Augustine's life. And he went on, of course, to become one of the greatest theologians the church has ever known. And may these verses have the same effect on each one of us today. There are two points I want to make concerning these verses. 
First, knowing the times, and secondly, how we should live in these times. First, we should know the times in which we live. Verse 11 tells us, besides this, you know the time. Now, here Paul is giving us uh, another motivation for living the Christian life. For all that he's been saying in chapters 12 and 13, beginning in chapter 12, he's telling us how to live the Christian life. And he goes on into the end of the book, basically. And he's building that off what he said in chapters 1 through 11. The primary motivation is to remember the gospel, remember the good news about what Jesus has done, what God has done in sending Christ into the world to save broken, sinful people such as we are, all of us are. And he's saying in light of all that God has done for us, we should give our lives back to God, to love God and to love others, to love even our enemies. That's what he's been saying in chapter 12 and 13. And now here he's giving us another motivation, another motivation for that, because of the times, the times that we, in which we live. The, and the word times here is a more specific word than our generic word for time. The English word for time, of course, can be used in a lot of different ways, various ways, specific ways, broad concepts that cover the word time. But this Greek word here means something very specific. It means the decisive moment. It means the crucial point, the opportunity that's before you, the situation, the circumstances, the critical situation. I like the way how uh, Joseph Fitzmaier translates verse 11 in his commentary. He says, do this then, realizing, realizing how critical the moment is. How critical the moment is, that really does communicate it. Paul's giving us a a bit of carpe diem. Seize the day. Now is the time. Now we have people, even in our congregation, who study the weather and interpret the signs around us in order to know what, what weather is coming. And we pay a lot of attention to that. We have people who study financial markets and trends, and they make business decisions based upon those studies, those, that understanding. Well, Paul is saying we need to pay attention to and understand the significance of the times in which we live, the, the circumstances, the, the significant time in which we live and act accordingly. Jesus said the very same thing in Luke chapter 12. He said, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be a scorching heat. And it happens, as we all know so well here on the Gulf Coast. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? The present time, the opportunity, the opportunity they had, that Christ was there with them. The Messiah had arrived. So we need to pay attention to the times. Know the times in which we live. And so what are they? What are these times in which we live? Well, we live, most importantly, between the advents of Christ, between the two comings of Christ. Christ has already come once. We just celebrated Christmas not long ago. And we're looking forward to the day when Christ returns. We we live in this present age, but we're also living 
partially in the age to come. There's a, an overlap. Christ came the first time, and some of the, uh, the, one of the first things he said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. He ushered in his kingdom, his messianic kingdom. A, a, a new regime, a change had come. And so now, for those of us who live between the comings of Christ and who have embraced Christ, we live in this present evil age with all of its sinfulness and brokenness. But we are also partially participating in the age to come. We are already beginning to enjoy the blessings that Christ has brought us. Forgiveness, sanctification, all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. But we are not yet fully Enjoying all of them, when Christ returns, we will enjoy completely and fully all that Christ has secured for us in his life, death, and resurrection. So we live between these two times, or in, in the midst of two different ages that are overlapping. The present age, the present evil age, and the, the, the age to come when Christ will return and usher in the new heavens and the new earth. And we don't know when he will return. But it's the next thing that's going to happen in reference to Christ. He's already come the first time. He's already died for our sins on the cross. He's already risen from the grave. He's already ascended to heaven. The only thing left is for him to return again and to usher in his kingdom fully and completely. And that could happen at any time. And that's what Paul means in verse 11. Salvation is nearer to us now than we first believed. Each moment that passes brings us closer to that time when the trumpet will sound and Christ will appear for, this, for his people the second time. Every second that passes makes verse 11 more true than it was a second before. A minute ago, an hour ago. It's more true now than when I first read it. We're pressing ever closer to the day when Christ brings in the fullness of salvation he has secured for his people. Verse 12 tells us, The night is far gone. The day is at hand. Now the day is the day of his return. The day is the, the day of judgment, which everyone, when everyone will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. The day is that day when his sheep will be separated from his goats, from the goats. And to his sheep he will say, Come, you are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And to the goats he will say, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. My friends, that day is at hand. Now, Paul wrote this 2,000 years ago. It's more true today than it ever was. The day is at hand and it's approaching ever closer moment by moment. These are the times in which we live. The hour has come for us to wake from sleep. This is not the time to be asleep, to be unaware, to be apathetic about the things of God. This is not the time to be drowsy, but to be wide awake, aware and vigilant. Are you aware of the times? This is the hour to be prepared for the day, that great day. Or are you asleep? Have you grown drowsy and weary? Well, now that we are awake, how do we live in these times? 
How do we live in light of Christ's imminent return? What is God's purpose for his people? Now, we're talking about all the blessings that are ushered in for the people of God. And some people want to have all those blessings on this side of his return. Some people say, oh yeah, if you become a follower of Jesus, you're going to be rich or you'll always be healthy. I must have been doing something wrong last week if that's true. But that's an over-realized eschatology. That's what theologians call it, an over-realized eschatology. Trying to claim the things that are only for the age to come now. Yes, we are going to have riches beyond our even understanding what riches are in the new heavens and new earth we will never die in the new heavens and new earth but on this earth we're not going to enjoy those things maybe some of us will some won't maybe we will sometimes and sometimes we won't you never know but what is God doing what does he really want from us if he's not really in it to make us successful and healthy well the Bible makes it clear God's purpose is to make us holy he wants us to be his holy people and that's why when Paul tells us if you know these times if you know what Christ is doing then you need to get on board with the program don't do the things these sinful things he lists off sinful behaviors That's our focus. God's primary purpose is to make us holy. And that's what we ought to be as we prepare for the return of Christ. Three areas that we need to think about here. Very quickly, our mindset, our behavior, and our identity. Verse 12, again, the night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Now when the day dawns, people normally get up out of bed and get ready to face the day. They make preparations. Most importantly, they get dressed for their occupation. It would not be appropriate to go to work in your pajamas, unless it's pajama day at the elementary school like it was last week for for North Bay Elementary when the teachers and the students all went to class in their pajamas. But your coworkers would not be impressed if you showed up at the office in your pajamas. Well, the same is true for the Christian. Since the the day is fast approaching, we must not live as those who are asleep or drowsy or lazy or apathetic. We are no longer engaging in those things that are done at night, like sleeping or drunkenness or immorality. We're to have nothing to do with the works of darkness. Our mindset should be one of a wartime mentality. Paul says to put on the armor of light. Get up, get dressed and ready. Christians are to clothe themselves for spiritual battle to resist and fight against the works of darkness. Ephesians 6, Paul tells us to put on the full armor of God and be be ready, able to withstand in the evil day. If you go to war in your pajamas, you're going to be in trouble. You're not going to be well protected or well equipped for the task at hand. If you're asleep and not paying attention during war, you're going to die. Since the day of the Lord is at hand, we must enter each day with a warrior's mindset. Now next, Paul continues the lightness versus darkness metaphor saying, 
Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality, sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. And to walk, he means to live. How do we behave day in and day out in light of the times? Or not to engage in the behaviors of darkness. Rather, we are to walk properly as in the daytime. I was at Sonic a few weeks ago. I like to eat at Sonic. I'm afraid at my next doctor's appointment, I'm going to have to give that up. The cholesterol's getting a little high. But I like to eat lunch early because I'm not a big breakfast eater. So I was there a little after 11 o'clock. And a car pulled up beside me. The driver got out, got out and went inside. And I glanced over at the lady in the passenger seat. And she reached in her purse and pulled out a bottle of whiskey and turned it up. 11 o'clock in the morning. And I was like, wow, that's pretty early for a, a drink. It's only 11 o'clock. And I'm not sure you should chug a lug at 11 a.m. or p.m. See, that's not appropriate behavior, is it? It's not walking properly. That's not by any standard. Christians are to walk properly as in the daytime, not engaging in the deeds of darkness. And since we're talking about the day of the Lord, the darkness is over for Christians. We, we never have a nighttime anymore. We never go back to the deeds of darkness. That word properly means honest, true, fitting, becoming. And I think it communicates that we should live without hypocrisy. We should be true to who we are. We are, we are God's people, called by him to be his holy people. And that means we have nothing to do with the deeds of darkness. When you're expecting company to your house, what do you do? You, you clean up, you get your house in order, you get, make it dressed up, you'll turn off the TV, cook a meal maybe. You wouldn't want someone to show up while you're in the shower or undressed or cleaning toilets or doing something embarrassing. You want to be ready for their arrival. And the more important the guest, the more you want to impress the guest. Well, who is more important than Jesus Christ? the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's coming to your house. Be ready. Don't be caught in the deeds of darkness. Then finally, if we are to live as those who are awake, we must think about our identity. Verse 14, I think this is going to be my theme verse for the year. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. There's a contrast here between putting on Christ and making provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Let's think about the second one first. The flesh here means our sinful human nature that we all have. Within each of us is a sinful human nature which desires, we have desires that want to be gratified. They're all different desires, but we all have them. Those desires are there floating beneath the surface and we're faced daily with choices to make. Provision, do do I make provision for the flesh or not? Do I make a way for me to engage in that sin or not? Now, people today define themselves by their desires, don't they? I I desire this, that makes me that. I have same-sex desire, therefore I'm a homosexual. They're defined by their desires. What a mistake to make. You are not defined by your desires. Your desires are often sinful. 
You're defined by your maker. God is your maker, and he's the one that defines who you are. And only when you submit to what God has made you to be will you find fulfillment in life, in this life and in the life to come. Not by the so-called desires that we have. What does God want us to be? That will make us happy. God wants us to be holy. He sent his son to die on the cross to make you holy, to pay the penalty for your sins so that you can be washed and cleansed and renewed So you can be saved from the guilt of sin, from the power of sin, and ultimately, when Christ returns, from even the presence of sin. That's what God's doing. We're not defined by our desires. We're defined by our Heavenly Father. And he says to us to put on Christ. And it means to be identified and united with him. Now, when, when you become a Christian, that's what you're doing. You're putting on Christ. You're, you are embracing Christ. You're, you're by faith trusting in him. You're united to Christ in his death and resurrection so that what he did on the cross is applied to you. And when he rose from the grave, you're united to him, so you have new life. So there's the, the doctrine of union with Christ, which we can't go into in depth today, but... Also here, he's talking to Christians, so it's people who've already put on Christ, but what he means here is to to live like it. Keep putting on Christ. Fellowship with Christ. Walk with Christ. For example, if someone puts on a tuxedo, if a man puts on a tuxedo or a woman gets dressed up in an an evening gown, it affects your behavior, doesn't it? You know, I look good, you know, and I'm going to go out and, you know, Go to a formal setting and I'm going to behave accordingly. You're not going to go in a tuxedo or an evening gown and act like you're at the gym. That would be weird. Inappropriate. We are to put on Christ, which means that we're to to identify with him every day of our lives. We are to remember who we're wearing who we're identified with, and to act appropriately, act accordingly to that. How should we live? Who are we and what is God doing in us? Be that. Do that. That's what he's calling us to do. Remember what Christ has done. Remember how he died for you. Remember all that he's done, all that he has done for you. And remember that he's coming back soon. Be prepared. Remember who you are. Remember whose you are. Now, Augustine was successful by the world's standards before he ever read this passage and put on the Lord Jesus Christ. But his life after that was transformed into something he would have never have imagined. And the same is true for us. Some people think embracing Christ, putting on Jesus, is going to limit me some way. Now it's going to open up another world that you never could have imagined. Something beyond your wildest imagination and dreams. And when Christ comes again, it will blow your mind even further. And that's our hope that we were singing about earlier. May the Lord give us grace today to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and to not just go along with the flow that we find ourselves in in our lives.
Do not make provision for the flesh to gratify its desires, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would forgive us. Lord, we confess even now how we don't take seriously your return. We don't take seriously so many things. We've grown apathetic and drowsy and lazy. We engage in the deeds of darkness. Help us to wake up, Lord. Wake us up. Help us to remember who you are and what you have done for us and whose we are and help us to to bear the family resemblance. Lord, we ask that you would cleanse us and renew us today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.